Check out We Are Calvin football podcast in association with McAvoy's Super Value, Virginia. Real food, real people. Try Super Value's own range in store today. Quality products at one third the price of branded labels. McAvoy Super Value, Virginia. Supporting local. We are Cavan Podcast. Because Cavan's not just a place, it's a people. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the McAvoy Super Value GA podcast on We Are Cavan. Um, on today's show, uh, we're going to be kind of reminiscing a wee bit, but also asking for your support because um, coming up on the show, we have an interview with Katrina Clark, who is one of the founding members of Slauncha 2020. It's an organization that has been set up over in New York to help the mostly undocumented Irish who are financially struggling at the moment with no work available through COVID-19 over there. And we also caught up an exclusive interview with on Uchtaran Tuffa, uh, Larry McCarthy. Um, he spoke to us about um, Sludge 2020 and also about life over in New York. But to, to, to kind of bring this all back home, I said myself and Paul, Fitzpatrick, sports editor of the Anglo-Celt. We kind of merged this with that wonderful experience we had um, on, the, on, on, the, on the shilling of the Irish over in New York. Myself and yourself and Mickey Brennan were, were brought over to cover the Mick Higgins tournament, which was Cavan against New York in a, in a two-game series. And uh, my God, we had some few days over there, Paul. Ah, Jesus, it was some trip, Damien. Absolutely brilliant, and we were we were treated really well by the cabin people in New York. Just looking through notes from from the time, like with some great experiences. Going to the po- the site of the polo grounds was one of the highlights for me. Oh, it was amazing, and 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 to to, to maybe give the the beginning of that story. So Connie O'Reilly, the owner of Crover House Hotel and, and O'Reilly's Bars, and, and and friend of the We Are Cabin podcast, um. He, he got on to us and said, look, if he's want to go up to the site of the polo grounds where it used to be, I'll bring you to where there's a plaque. So he, he came and, and picked us up and myself, yourself, Mickey and Connie headed on up into Harlem. Um, and you couldn't get three more ghostly looking boys kind of both because we were maybe a little bit weary of Harlem. And, uh, and 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 then the fact that it, it was going to be the site of the polo grounds on top, I think we were a bit overawed. Yeah, so, like, to describe it, uh, the polo grounds stadium eventually uh, got torn down in the early 60s. But from, Cavan obviously played there in 47, but through the 50s, it started to get worse and worse. And you had the New York Giants baseball team. So we all know the Giants... American football team, but there was the baseball team played in the polo grounds, and uh, that franchise was sold and moved out of the city, which can happen in America. Like, but it's, it's a big. It's happened several times in different sports where mm. a franchise would leave and pop up somewhere else with a totally different name, different colors. Halfway totally across, totally happening the, with the Raiders, I think. 
Is it? Football, yeah. Yeah, so like that that can happen, but but people took it very badly in New York, really badly, when when the Giants went. And uh, I remember interviewing a fellow who who ran a, a message board, for the New York Giants baseball appreciation message board, thousands of members on it, something like cabin football. People were rare on it and always yearning to go back to the glory days of it. But that area around the polo grounds got worse and worse back then, and there was a hill overlooking the the stadium called Coogan's Bluff and uh, in the early 1950s I'm not sure the exact year uh, not long after Cavan had been there anyway a young fella 14 year old black fella who black child who had been out um, messing around in Central Park and found a gun found a rifle brought it home and hid it and there was one bullet in it and uh, he brought on, on July the 4th when all the fireworks were going off he went to the top of his of his apartment block where he lived was in the projects and he decided he just he just pulled the trigger see what would happen and he fired a bullet and it traveled uh one kilometer it was like a 0.22 rifle it traveled one kilometer which was the maximum range that they could travel and it hit a fella that was at a match an irish fella who was sitting at a match in the polo grounds and he slumped dead in his seat holy yeah it's an amazing story and there's a photo there's a famous photograph of it because the photographers were on hand and uh his name was Barney Doyle. He was a boxing promoter and he had once promoted uh, the Cinderella man, James Braddock. And I actually was checking out this story a couple of years ago and I actually, uh, great bit of detective work, if I do say so myself, but I managed to track down some of his relations. I spoke to a few of them. One, one is a cop in Jersey and then I talked to, talked to these other people. One is in Oxford in England and another fella is living in Dunleary. And uh, they're all related to, to this man, Barney Doyle. And some of them still have some of his, some of his old stuff. But, he was with a 14-year-old boy as well at the game uh, called Otto Flegg. And he went on to be to be a chief of police in, in New Jersey. So it, I always wondered, is the 14-year-old boy, his name was Robert Peebles, the black fella, uh, black child who, who shot him. Is he still alive? He possibly is. Like, if he was alive, he'd be... If he was yeah. 14, 14 then. He likely is possibly still alive. But absolutely amazing story. But it was around that time that the polo girls was getting really rough and... You know, if you parked your car, you would have to pay money to these gangs, and if you didn't pay it, all your tires would be slashed and your windows would be broken. And so that that was a big factor in in the the giants leaving it. So around that area now, there's serious de- degradation um, and deprivation. And where the polo grounds is is a housing project, mm. and it's one of the worst housing projects in, in New York. Like it's it's referenced in, in a lot of hip hop songs uh, for all the murders that went on there. Um, it's there. It's there around 122nd Street, and I know that I remember looking into this and the stories online about it. If you if you live in the Polo Grounds Towers, uh, as it's called now, it's just a collection of about a dozen of these tower blocks. And if you live there and you want to order a pizza, you meet the pizza delivery man at the at the nearest subway station at the entrance to it. They won't go in there. So, um, and we had uh, heard these stories, or some of these stories. Um, before Connie picked us up to bring us up there. Yeah, to bring us up there. It, it was a roasting hot day, and I had a copy of my book, Fairy Tale in New York. So myself and yourself, Connie and Mickey Brennan, and we, we wanted to get a picture. Now, there's a plaque at uh, Home Base, where Home Base was, I think that's what it's called in mm. baseball. Um, there's a plaque there, but there's no mention of the Gaelic football match. But there's, because uh, there was a lot of big Gaelic football matches that time, nothing as big, obviously, as in all Ireland. But there's mention of the baseball only. But it, you'd, you'd walk past it, you'd miss it. It's just a small plaque. 
funnily enough, there's a there's a basketball court there. I don't know if I ever talked to you about this. If you remember, Damien, when we pulled up that day, there was a basketball court um, just behind right, us. Just behind us. Yeah. But that's actually a really famous basketball court. It's one of the most famous basketball courts in New York, and loads of loads of pros have come from that park. Right. Which is amazing if they pick up street games of basketball. I think it's called Rucker Park, and it's if you if you Google it, like it's it's huge in the mythology of baseball as well. But anyway, the polo grounds. That's where we ended up uh, in the middle of the day, and I do remember the funny looks we got three three white fellas, especially or four white fellas. Connie might have known his way around, but the three but of he us kind were. of he kind of didn't either as well. If if I remember rightly, because wherever we pulled up, I, Connie asked somebody exactly where the plaque was or whatever and I remember kind of saying look at only for we're going here it was it was an early-ish morning like we were up there for maybe nine or ten o'clock or relatively early and kind of saying you know you wouldn't come up here unless you're coming up early in the morning when everybody is really sleeping but so like he, he didn't know that terribly well but yourself and Mickey kind of played me a stunt after about how we, we got in and out so safely yeah, was it you? I was. I thought it was Mickey. Yeah, I, I remember. I remember saying to you, uh, "Jesus, did you see that?" And you were like, "What?" And I was like, "Connie's got a revolver in his pocket." <laughs> <laughs> you, you were like, "No way!" Thank God. Thank God he has. <laughs> but I remember actually we got we got into the car. We went in and we hung around for ten minutes. Got some pictures and got some pictures and we got into the car and we were driving back and uh, Connie had. A, made a phone call on the loudspeaker in the car and it was to this lady called Kathleen O'Reilly who's a second generation Cavan woman. Her her father was from Kilnalek and she she's the chief of police in North Manhattan. So sure. it'd be that sort of area. And he, he rang he just rang her and she was involved in the organizing of the match. She was on the committee and chatting about that and she said, uh, you know, where are you now or whatever? And he said, I'm just coming from I'm at like 118th Street or whatever it was. I'm just coming from the polo grounds. She was like, what, what are you doing down there? You could hear the alarm in her voice. Yeah. And Connie says, oh, I just brought, brought the lads from Cavan down to see it. And she goes, are you joking me? And he goes, no. And she says, I don't even send my guys in there. <laughs> we were after sauntering around. But if you remember... Um, On the Monday then. Yeah, the, uh, players, the players called there. That's right. And, and Kathleen O'Reilly made sure they had four cops, four well, armed cops. When they met them. Well, but the pro- if you remember the full story, because Connie... Connie came to pick us up, I think, and brought me, you and Mickey to the airport because we had been to the polo grounds and the team was to go up to look at the, at the polo grounds. But so they, they got on the bus from the hotel, came around, came into Harlem, went, looked at the, at the, the polo grounds and they had, um, they had a, I, think, I think I'm right in saying they had a couple of cops with them. But then the bus broke down and the cops were like, OK, quick, ring for reinforcements here. So then a load of squad cars arrived as the bus had broken down just to make sure that they were well secured until the replacement bus came. And you remember then that we were in danger of the boys were actually going to miss the flight. That's they, right. So there was, there was all this and Connie was on to, he had a contact uh, in Aer Lingus and he was like, look, can we just hold the, hold the plane if we have to for, you know, it might be 15, 20 minutes. And your boy was like, look, I can't hold a plane for you. <laughs> I know Cavan are important, but I can't, <laughs> I can't hold a plane, but it all worked out in the end anyway. We, yeah, we yeah, it was it was mad, and I remember laughing at the time, thinking if if any national journalist or anyone from Mead or Monaghan uh, 
heard heard about this this uh, incident. It would be some metaphor. The Cavan team bus literally getting broken down outside the polo grounds. It sums it up <laughs> where <laughs> where we've yeah. It does indeed. It does indeed. So come here. What we do is we we skip on over here because. Again, what we're trying to do here is raise awareness for Slauncha 2020. And I caught up with one of the organisers. Anybody who's ever been up near McLean Avenue would have been to Clark's Pub. They're the main sponsors of Leitrim GEA. But um, Katrina Clark was kind enough to spend some time explaining all about Slauncha 2020. Yeah, with Slauncha 2020, um, my husband and I are involved in the bar business with JP Clark's and McLean Avenue. And uh, on the 16th of March, we were just told we had to shut down that evening. So... Being in being self-employed and being in the business, we realized very quickly that um, this was a New York-wide thing and an awful lot of people were out of work very quickly with very little uh, support financially or otherwise. And uh, as I'm also involved in the Ashland Irish Community Centre, which would be a welfare centre for the Irish out here in New York as well. And I think the one thing that um, struck us very quickly was that this was a big problem. It wasn't just about the bar business. It wasn't just about McLean Avenue or Katona or Queens. It was all over New York and the tri-state area. And an awful lot of people just lost their jobs with little or no assistance. So as a member of the Ashing Irish Community Centre, I came together with um, the New York Irish Centre, the Emerald Isle Immigration Centre, the United Irish Counties and the GAA, to form an umbrella organization called Slauncher 2020. Now, what was unique about this partnership was probably the first time that five major not-for-profit organizations came together to sort of harness their collective fundraising ability. And the reason we did this was because everybody was affected. So if the Ashland Center went to do a fundraiser, it would raise a certain amount of money, as would it for any of the organizations, but we'd all be competing against one another for the same reason. So by harnessing our collective, um, you know, I suppose our collective reach, it became much more effective. And within a few days, we had a website and a whole organization set up uh, with, with, with a very good structure to try and help the people who needed it the most. Like The organizations you mentioned there are... Are, are very very active in the local communities already but in, in lockdown then how did you manage to or in isolation how did you manage to come together yeah that, that, that that's funny um i suppose it would be the same for everybody but uh, i mean zoom really was our saving grace now i had never heard of zoom never mind used it before this but we had um a meeting with the consulate all the irish centers had a meeting with the consulate one day and that was my first time to log on to zoom and I was chatting to a couple of the other directors and I said, look, I have an idea here. We'll get in contact after this. So I talked to them all over the phone and um, also another uh, great man, Shane Humphreys, who's an attorney down in, 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 in Manhattan. And um, they, they were all on board with the idea. So I said, look, I'll set up a Zoom meeting thinking I sounded like I knew what I was talking about, but I actually didn't. So I was practicing with the family on the Sunday. But somebody called me on Zoom, let me figure this out. So we, we actually just... That's how it came about. We had a Zoom meeting, and I will have to say, um, like for the first three weeks, Shane hadn't his picture on. So I think it was three weeks into it before I realised he had a beard and what he looked like. But the man had done so much behind the scenes, but that's just the nature of working together. But I think, um, given the circumstances, and other people would say this, be- because it happened the way that it did, really you had to rely on whatever tools were available to you, and it maybe took some of the it, it took some of the 
the hard work out of it because you just set a time for the meeting. Everybody logged in, logged off in an hour. If we were trying to do this and all tried to meet once a week to set it up, it would be still going on. Yeah, it, 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 was, it was phenomenally efficient the way you set it up. And then once, when you first launched the website, was there much of a response from applicants? Well, there was. And um, just maybe before we go into that, the one thing that I want to say about when we set up the website, that one of a, a lot of work went into planning how this was going to be done. Uh, in order to succeed, and this is what we did through Zoom, we had to define our mission, we had to identify the need, and we had to be very transparent about how the funds would be raised. Now, um, the one thing that was happening at the time was that people wanted to help, but there was no clear pathway as to how to do it. There were so many GoFundMes and fundraisers to help the COVID-19 victims, but there was very little oversight on any of them, and where people wanted to, don to donate money, they weren't really sure what was happening. So when we had defined our mission and identified the need, when we set up the steering committee, we set up um, sort of criteria and put in place verification procedures as well as guidelines for determining the awards. So when we had all that set up and the website went live, we were ready to take on the applicants or so we thought. Now we had, I have to say we were overwhelmed. The applica application started coming in at about 30 a day. So you can imagine in the first, um, you know, in the first couple of weeks, we had well over 200 applications. So this comes back to having to go back to our criteria and see how we disperse the funds, which was a difficult decision at the time because so many people were looking uh, for help. But as the funds came in, we were able to help more and more people. But um, the fact that it was all streamlined and people were able to apply just online probably made it easier in a way but it just took a little while for us to get the funds in and to start giving them out. But at this stage now, it's working a lot more efficiently. And, and the overall idea was to help the undocumented Irish, particularly in, in I suppose, in, in New York area. But who, who all applied? Like, what sort of people were applying? Yeah, here, here's the thing. I mean, um, yes, the undocumented would have been part of it, but the whole idea really was to help anybody um, who didn't have any other support. There were certainly undocumented who might have been working in cash paid jobs, but there were also people, there are also people here who um, might be here with a green card or might be residents, might be legal here, but they may also have been working in say cash paid jobs, be it construction or, you know, particularly the, the hospitality sector where you have bars uh, using bartenders and waitresses, they might be just doing one or two shifts and their main income will be on tips. So they weren't in the system either. So another aspect of that would have been, say, uh, peripheral to the hospitality in industry, like, say, musicians or bands or you know, sound engineers who would have been setting up all around St. Patrick's Day, waiting for probably the biggest week of the year. And then suddenly these people were left with little or no income and the timing of it couldn't have been worse from that point of view because you're just coming out of January and February, which is traditionally very quiet anyway. And it's like pulling the plug on Christmas Eve in a way for the hospitality sector. So in the beginning, there were a cross section of people, particularly from construction and um, um, the hospitality sector. But now it will be mainly the, the, those, the, the bartenders and waitresses. Right. And, and, and then, so how did you determine, like, what sort of issues were they face, facing, like, those people coming? Was it, was it as bad as, you know, maybe yeah, not having there was, Yes, it was, actually. Um, 
Probably the two biggest issues would be rent and food security. I mean, if you're here on a fairly tenuous basis and then suddenly you've no income and you're dependent on a landlord who may or may not give you a break with the rent or you just don't have any cash coming in to go and buy groceries, it was that basic. So we really had to look at the overall needs and believe me, there was um, a great need out there. I mean, it's it's just... I, I think to some extent, maybe all of us were caught a bit on the hop because the economy had been so good for the last two to three years that everybody seemed to be working. It just seemed to be um, everything was going smoothly. I won't say it was party central. I don't mean it like that. But anybody who was able to work was working. Be it construction was booming. The, the bars and restaurants were booming. So suddenly that's taken away. And um, what we did realize that a lot of people were sort of living paycheck to paycheck, which is fine when the money is coming in and you're getting uh, weekly cash in the cash economy. That's all fine. But after two quiet months of January and February, where you're expecting to for this to not just continue, but to get better, and suddenly you realize you have very few resources. Probably the biggest um, worry, what we had to do at some point was just, um, you know, we had we had to tier the applications and probably the, the the main tier would have been for families with young kids and maybe both one or both probably both parents not working you know and that was that was a big big worry so we would have been looking at them first of all and then maybe secondly people with uh, medical or underlying issues and the third one probably would have been um, more single people who might have been sharing rent accommodation so their expenses wouldn't have been as high as opposed to a family who had to, or paying for full rent in a house. So you had to basically structure the criteria of, of help needed, such was the volume of applicants. That's it, yeah. And that's where, you know, to some extent, uh, we were fortunate in a way that we had the time to put some thought into it in the beginning, but it's only as the applications came in that we really had to streamline it. But the other thing that um, I'd just like to say here is that um, because be, because we hit the ground running with this, we were very fortunate that um, the Irish government was very supportive and the consulate here in New York because, um, you know, wh when funds became available, we had a structure that they were able to work with us in um, supporting us with grant money for us simply because we had the structure there as in who we were helping and how the funds were being dispersed. Otherwise, it would have been very difficult. We'd still be playing catch up. And, and the Irish government have contributed? Yes, they have. They actually gave us, um, they gave us, uh, they gave us, um, or no, they gave us a hundred thousand, fifty thousand in the beginning, and then another fifty thousand, um, a while after that. And we were set up with a, um, a Zoom meeting with Antonista Simon Coveney, um, which, and he was very supportive of it as well. So, um, that was very good. The other thing is that because we had this structure, they were. They were great about um, informing other Irish centres in the States about what we had, and they put us in touch with um, other centres. And Chicago, the, the model we had could have been duplicated, so Chicago did something similar based on their own needs. So they were very supportive of that, for sure. Very good. Then, like, what was the response to the fundraising drive? What, what, what way did it well, is so far? We, we, we were very lucky. Um, the way we structured it was because, and, and, and this is probably particular, you know, this is probably um, uh, true to any fundraising at home, but you know, as, as, as not-for-profits in, in our local area, any fundraising we do would usually be from the local businesses, which would mainly be the bars and the restaurants and construction companies. But because they were all out of work, it was the one thing that we couldn't do and didn't want to do was to target anybody who had been so good to us all along. We wanted to help their workers. 
So we set it up in such a way that we'd sort of aim for civic and social organisations that maybe had a, um, a benevolent fund for a rainy day, say the United Irish Counties, all the county associations here would have some sort of benevolent fund. We have a group called the Tara Circle who are very good in coming forward. We have so many organisations like that, you know, committees, the Ancient Order of Hibernians, there, there's quite a few of them. And also, um, we did have, when the GA came on board, all of their clubs stepped in straight away to help out. And one thing I do want to say is that the five founding organisations all did contribute to the, the seed money in the beginning. They all contributed their own funds to us, so we would have something to give out. And um, in the beginning, I actually thought, you know, we raised 100,000, 150,000, that it would have been a fantastic achievement. And you know what? The organizations we asked for donations were great, but what we found was the response from the community was phenomenal. And to date, we've raised um, close to 450,000. And a lot of that is, to, is, is because of the response we've gotten from the community, and also not just here, but also at home. Yeah, I suppose it's it's important that at home here in Ireland, we, we a lot of the time would go to New York and other areas to fundraise for our GA work back home. So I suppose it's it's a good opportunity for the GA in Ireland to contribute back to New York. Well, without a doubt. And um, first of all, when we started uh, here with the GA in New York, that they were supposed to be playing Galway back in May. And that didn't happen. So the New York players got together, the senior panel, and they did a thousand kilometers over the, you know, over a weekend, which 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 was a phenomenal um, fundraiser. And also, I will have to say, I mean, hats off to Terry Highland, the manager of the Leitrim team and the whole Leitrim County board, including the treasurer Martin McCartan, Declan Bowen. Um, uh, they really got behind this, and not only were they supportive of it, but they set up their own initiative at home whereby with the players and supporters, they had a Leitrim day and they got everybody out on the 16th of May to do um, a fundraiser, be it, you know, walk 5K, 10K cycle. And I mean, I saw it on Facebook and what they did was remarkable, but they raised over 20,000 euros for both Slauncher 2020 and for Theatre House. So we would have gotten um, well over $10,000 from the people of Leitrim. And also the Leitrim County Board donated separately, they donated $2,000. And so have the, the kind of council, and I want to thank them. And I know Galway are donating, Cavan have donated, and I know other county council, or county boards will. So just, you know, they talk about the coronavirus having no, not knowing any boundaries, but I would say the exact same with people's goodwill and the help, because, you know, be they in Leitrim or Florida or Australia, that we've seen help coming from all over the place. And it's just humbling because New York really has never been in a position to be asking for help like this or needing it in such an obvious way. Yeah, it, it's a phenomenal amount of money raised. It shows the, the collective and the goodwill is there. But how many people has Slauncher helped so far? Um, what I would say is that uh, we've had uh, well over, I probably now, these are just figures off the top of my head, but um, from our last meeting last week, but uh, we had over 440 applications and we have issued over um, 400 checks for assistance from this launch account. And from that, over 650 people have benefited to date and over 100 of them would have been children. And also to say that as part of our website, if anybody checks out www.slauncher.org, 
Um, we've also a section for jobs and both Mike Riley from the United Irish Counties and um, Shane Humphreys, who, who are both on the committee, they are in property management down in Manhattan and any jobs that have become available that even during the whole crisis, they have advertised them and people have applied for jobs and we've placed up to 20 people in jobs as a result and a lot of those are going to be long term. So not only does it take them out of the fund, it gives them something to work towards. Give a man, give a man a fish and lead for a day. Well, that's it, that's it. So, you know, I would just recommend that anybody just check out the website to see what we were doing and, um, and what it's all about. And it's still, so you're still fundraising currently, as you said, the, the website's launchat2020.org, um, but you, you still are fundraising and, and, and making yourselves available for applicants. We are, and this will probably go on for the month of June because um, we weren't expecting to open up here until towards the end of June, maybe the 23rd, but we just got word there at the weekend that um, bars and restaurants can open for outdoor seating. Um, as of today so it's going to be a busy day today but because it's only outdoor seating it's very limited in, in the number of staff that can come back because your your capacity is reduced and also there are bars and restaurants that aren't going to open down in Manhattan and all over the place there are places that won't open again you know they could have been paying high rent if the tourists if the shows aren't going on in Manhattan they're not going to have the volume to pay rent in prime locations so you know some people may not open again there's no guarantee that's the thing we don't know but what we want to have is just to do what we can for the people who are just insecure both financially and in other ways just um in the short term katrina it's a it's an absolutely wonderful initiative it's it's amazing sometimes in adversity it's a, it's the opportunity to bring out strong characters and and yourselves and all over in New York have done wonderful work there. So again, just to remind people to get on, they can still donate as little or as much as you can afford. Slauncha 2020org Trina, thanks for me there for taking the time to talk to me. Oh, Damien, thank you. And uh, just thanks to everybody at home. It's just been so supportive. Just can't say that enough. Thank you. Yeah, so do you know what, Paul? Isn't it, isn't it great to hear, like, they're, um, like, almost immediately, the Irish community over there realize that okay there's going to be a problem and put so much motion to getting all the organizations together to make sure that they had supports for them rather than it being you know the ashland center doing a bit and 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 the ga doing a bit they decided no let's just pull everything together so we get everybody kind of covered it, it it's a real heartwarming story for the way that the irish community pulled together overseas yeah, completely, completely. And like that, that story, that story that we were telling there is just an example of of how the Irish community treat people from here when you go over there. They, they can't do enough for you, particularly the cabin people. Like when I think back to the time we were there, um, you had Huey Smith from Killing Care who, who uh, he never lives upstate, he's retired, but like he brought us down to the, to the site of the Twin Towers. And just looking back on, on stuff I wrote at the time, you know, it was amazing. He, I remember getting into his Jeep and he was listening to the death notices on on Northern Sound. <laughs> Amazing. That was, it was like, that was early on the Sunday morning, like could have been seven, eight o'clock. And it was definitely early because we had, we had a bit of a night on the Saturday. But yeah, and Northern Sound turned on. You're like, what? You can get Northern Sound over here. But he, he, yeah. had, he had the app downloaded and just playing through a Bluetooth on, on, on his lovely big Jeep. And, and he rings, he was telling us he used to ring his brother. I think it was his brother at home. And he would tell him about someone in the parish that, that was dead. Yeah. 
and and he'd have heard it in New York beforehand. But he had an amazing story when he talked about he was a member of the, the local six oh eight Carpenters Union and uh he was he was on the top floor or very close to the top floor of the Twin Towers and it takes like you know, it took like a minute and a half to get to go down in a in a quick elevator to the bottom. Uh, yeah, and, uh, well, he he was saying that it would it, it it would disturb up his whole day. It wasn't just a minute and a half to go down because to go down and then get the stuff and load on would it was going to take probably the guts of an hour out of his day. Well, that was it, yeah. And and but that when the when the tower the plane hit the twin towers, um, he he had just been at the top and he just got down to the bottom. Yeah, there was. The, do you remember the story about how he ended up down at the bottom? There was a guy who was meant to be at the in the basement. Or, or at the bottom to receive in stuff for the job that they were doing on, on as you say, one of the top floors. And and Huey got the phone call to say, look, this guy's not here to take it off. And if, if, if somebody's not down here in the next few minutes, I'm going. I'm not taking it off. And Huey was like, I just, he'll be there in a minute. Just stay where you are. And your, your boy was going to go. And Huey was reluctant to go down because, as he said, it would take an hour for him to go down and get back up again. And eventually he said, look, I better go down here. And as he said to us, that saved his life. That 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 decision to go down and, and, and take off that load of timber saved his life. Yeah, completely. And but you, you could still see the sadness there. Like he, he made one comment to me at one stage. He said, "There's there's a thousand people in that hole and they're not coming out." And like <laughs> that that's it's a really eerie place. You're not allowed to take photographs and you're not allowed to smoke a cigarette. You know, it's 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 a tourist attraction, but it's also a place of mourning. And the Irish are, are tied up in that as well. I remember another man we spoke to uh, who was working in a bar owned by an Irishman. He was from Galway and he said, he, I think he, he, he had been there 30 years. I'd imagine he's possibly undocumented as well. He'd been there 30 years and had never been home. Yeah. And uh, when he first got there, he said he, I, I got the impression that maybe he decided to leave home after an argument or something like that. When he got out there, he wasn't really prepared for it. And uh, he used to walk up and down the streets looking for work. He used to sleep in a hostel on the west side to save what cash he had. And he played the accordion on the subway. But he eventually, he eventually made friends, hooked up with Irish people who were already out there and set up. And he carved out a new life for himself, working in this bar, making good money and raised his own family. And even though he was lonely, he hadn't been back. And that's the plight of the undocumented. You know, he had, he, he had a new family out there, you could say. Yeah, yeah. Like, there, there, there's so many stories of that and, and how the Irish help each other over there. And, and on Slauncher 2020 on the website, you'll see a link to one of the organisers and, and the founding members of it is Mike Riley from, from Mullahorn here. And, uh, and, and Michael has, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but basically he has worked for people man indoors on 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 large residential properties over there and literally it's up there just contact them if if you want work you know and remember the the, the journey we had um coming down from mclean avenue going by yonkers and it was or uh, yankee stadium and there was a baseball game going on it must have been 11 or 12 o'clock at night and the baseball game was still going on as, as we were driving by in in in, uh, in, in michael's car yeah, yeah, incredible, Incre- incredible, like, but something about New York, like, you're, you know, the city that never sleeps, there's always something like that going on, but what's so, what's so fascinating is the stories, like, it's, you know, everyone has their own story out there, the Irish community, but they're all sort of interwoven into the one story, like, if you, I remember Connie saying, like, when he was growing up in Gary Moore, 
what what happened was the, just this story that I'm just looking at. It's something I wrote about at the time. We were in Rory Dolan's bar in, in the Kilachandra room, as it's called, <laughs> yeah, down, down in the Bronx, which is probably the, the closest place to cabin that you can be outside the cabin. And uh, Terry was speaking. Terry Hyland was, was over the team, obviously, and he was speaking. And he said, it's great that the cabin supporters in New York can give us such backing and that they're willing to put their hands in their pockets. And Connie O'Reilly got up after him. And he said, when I was going up in Gary Moore, we could put our hands in our pockets, but we wouldn't find anything there. <laughs> yeah, and that 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 was that was that's the whole story. Like I know it's the old story, the rags to riches, and that has probably changed as the world has become a smaller place. But like when Huey Smith arrived in 1970, he had only ever seen one black man in his life. That's he said right. he was a, do- a doctor in the in the hospital, and he <clears throat> probably had no TV. And he said when the plane was coming in at Kennedy, he it was the first time he ever saw the skyscrapers. So mm. like, you know, you that generation of people there too that that came in a different era. But I, I feel I have a feeling that that. That sort of um, that bond is still there. That community spirit is still there. Yeah, well, it it, it definitely is, and 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 we talk a little bit about it. And good time to bring in here, um, Larry McCarthy, Uktaran uh, Tuffa, who I have to say was very generous with his time. Um, but he he speaks a little bit here about w- what the summers are like in New York. But uh, have a listen to this. So I'm delighted to be joined now by. Um, Tukter on Tuffa, Larry McCarthy online from New York. Thanks a million for, for joining me, Larry. It's it's great to have you. Thank you very much, Damien. Delighted to be here this morning with you. Um, it's a lovely June day um, here in New York, or sorry, in New Jersey, where I live. Um, looking out in the sun shining at 11 o'clock in the morning. It's four o'clock in the afternoon, your time, of course, but happy to, to chat with you. Yeah, I suppose what what we're here really to do is 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 highlight and, and maybe bring people's attention to Slauncha Twenty Twenty, um, a website and, and a fundraising effort that was set up to try and help out the Irish community in in the tri-state area of New York during difficult times. A lot of undocumented Irish that maybe are lacking assistance at this time. Yeah, it was. In fairness, it was Seamus Clark who you you will all recognise as the sponsor of of the Leitrim football team at home. Um, who brought a gang of us together maybe the day after there was a lockdown here. Um, and we gathered in the, in the parking lot of, of Rory Dolan's bar up in McLean Avenue, all socially distant. And he said, look, we've got to help people out here. So there was all sorts of public representatives there, community representatives, and the New York GA were seriously involved. John Henchy as chairperson um, in particular. So it, it took off from there and, and they decided, look, we, we've got to... Uh, build a fund here that can help out the people who um, are going to be stressed in terms of accommodation and stressed in terms of food in some cases and in some cases families would have been in those circumstances so they said about you know raising funds and in fairness them raise about I think but no I, I know about 450,000 at this stage um, 100,000 of it came from the Irish government who stepped in quite quickly through the concert here in New York the New York GEA itself raised about 100,000 with the help of you know the clubs, with the help of individuals, with the help of the Leitrim County Board, and it has helped out greatly um, for a, for an awful lot of people. Yeah, it, it, it's it's phenomenal, and I suppose we we always look at at New York and and particularly and we, we've seen counties go over to New York and and run fundraising events. It's now an opportunity for the people of Ireland to give something back to to the Irish diaspora over there. Yeah, it is. It's very much that opportunity at this stage at a, at a time of, of critical need, given that we're obviously and have been for the last six weeks or so the global epicenter of this awful pandemic that's that's hitting us, you know. 
But you're right. I mean, people started coming to America looking for money for the GA in 1888. So it's not a new phenomenon with the American invasion. But it's right. You know, the, the, the counties that have been coming over in the last couple of years, it's perhaps an opportunity now for them to put their hands in their pocket and send something back to the undocumented who are here, who've been, you know, impacted by seriously by, by this whole thing, you know. Yeah. Um, and maybe other organizations as well um, might be might be able to put their hands in their pocket because they would have taken money out of New York over the last number of years. It's it's funny in discussing what's launch is about two things come up. The first being that we all over here in Ireland know somebody who's undocumented in, in New York. So they are directly affected by lockdown of no construction work and no maybe hospitality industry going at the minute. And And the other point being, Anybody who's involved in the GEA club here in, in Ireland, when there's a group of my own club in, in Cavan's Drumalee, you get to a county final and a group of 10 or 12 people from New York that would be affiliated with Drumalee come together and send a few pounds over for county final. So we, we've all been receivers of donation from the other end. It's, it's, it's great to get the opportunity maybe to give something back. Yeah, you're dead right there. I mean, not only the counties, but clubs and, you know, the... the supporters of various clubs i mean my own club in bishopstown for instance um i contribute you know a little bit to them on a, on a frequent basis or at least i have to contribute to them um but i mean you're dead right i mean it, there is money consistently coming it's not just at the top level shall we say um the clubs get support and, and even individuals and you're right in terms of you know this is sort of um turning that that around a little bit um but I mean, the, the, the support in particular we've got from Leitrim um, has been, been phenomenal. And obviously all the Connacht counties know us very, very well in terms of they've been coming here now for 20 years, is it 20 years, just about 20 years on a rotation basis. So we had a very, very strong connections with each of, of, of those counties on a, on a club level, or sorry, on a county level, on an individual level and on a, county, on a club level as well. I suppose from a, a New York GA point of view, it's a very different kind of scene at the minute over there. You'd usually be expecting the J1 students coming over now to play a bit of football for the summer. Well, Damien, it's today is what this week, this Sunday is the second Sunday in June. Um, and I've always said for the last number of years that the first and second Sundays of June, you know, um, they're like the swallows coming back to Capistrano. The J1ers arrive with their bags in Gaelic Park for the first two weeks. Right, you can see them coming off the plane, and some of them will have made connections prior to it. Some of them are just in, in pure innocence are showing up in Gaelic Park looking for to stay with you know. And depending on the summer, you'll have a, you know a couple of hundred of them floating around the place, and then ultimately into the Irish neighbourhoods. Um, and they all get taken care of, and they all get sort of hooked up at some level. Um, in terms of getting a job or getting a place to stay. But yeah, it's a, there is no Gaelic Park at the moment, so the, the Swallows haven't come back to Capistrano this summer. Um, so it's, it's a decidedly different scenario. But hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we'll, depending on the um, local health authorities here in the New York State, we'll be up and running perhaps with planes, playing games rather like you will be at home. Okay, so, so there could be games back in, in, in Gaelic Park within a, a month or so or... I, I wouldn't say a month or so now. I mean, I, I would be, I would expect that we will have a championship here by the end of the summer. Um, you don't know the timelines because New York State has been divided up into different regions um, in terms of their ability to come back and there are certain criteria. Um, upstate New York has done better in terms of meeting those criteria. The city hasn't, not yet. Um, 
But having said that now, for instance, Westchester County, which is just outside the city of New York, is beginning to open up more today and tomorrow. Um, and that famous pub called Ned Devines is actually opening tonight, um, but with outdoor catering and outdoor, um, outdoor service only. We can't go into Ned's. Um, so uh, the phrase I came up with when I made the speech at Congress, see you all in Neds. Well, we'll see some of you in Neds tonight anyway. <laughs> from a distance. <laughs> from, absolutely from a distance. Sorry, let me rephrase that. We, sh we won't see you in Neds. We'll see you outside Neds. <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it, it's great to see the lockdown be, being reduced. And, and it's, it's great to see, I suppose, New York is kind of a, it's an Irish hub from, from home for a lot of people. So many Irish communities spread all across New York State. But it, it's funny, having been to New York a number of times myself, just to try to quantify the role that the GA has played. Because what I found when I was ever up in Gaelic Park was that they, there's, there's so much even more interest in the GA with the, with the communities abroad, with, with, with New York or Irish people in New York. They nearly become, to, to borrow a phrase, more Irish than the Irish themselves. <laughs> Um, yeah, I suppose it's, it's the sheer fact that you're away and you're not walking down the road and going into the field or going to the club and stuff like that. You really have to make a serious effort to get to a place like Gaelic Park or, or Gaelic Park in Chicago or Canton in Boston, for instance. Um, and so perhaps the intensity of the interest is greater, um, mm. particularly when you're around the place and particularly then recognizing that you're in a culture which is not dominated by the GEA. You know, the, 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 the G is a very, very small part of American culture, albeit it's a huge part of Irish culture here in the US. Um, but the intensity of the interest then is magnified, I would argue, you know. And so we, we tend to know and be in touch with, with home as mo uh, more, perhaps, um, than people at home in terms of following the sport and how important, how important it is to us as part and part of our culture. And prior to the internet, now some of your some of your listeners might remember that era. Um, but I mean, Sundays in Gaelic Park were always great times during the 70s and 80s. But Monday nights were equally as, as important in terms of catching up with the GEA. Um, because what happened on Monday evening was the papers came over. So the, the Monday morning papers with all the results came over. And then the local papers, the regional papers from the previous week would arrive in as well. So there'd be gatherings and bars all over the Irish community and guys sitting down reading the papers, um, following, the, reading the match reports and catching up with stuff, not just at the national level, but at the local level as well. Um, and so, you know, that, there wasn't a match played or a football kicked or a, a ball popped in Ireland that people didn't know about at their local club level that you referred to already in terms of, you know, sending home the couple of pounds for Drum League going into the county final. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's, I suppose it is that long in that while they, they maybe go for, for work reasons or for that they want to experience a different culture or for whatever reasons, they still have that that connection back to their home community and will always have it, regardless of where they go in the world. They're either a cabin man or a cork man living in somewhere else. <laughs> you are, yeah. You, 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 you'll never lose, you know, the connection with home and, and you know, it will differentiate you when you're in, in conversations. I mean, the inevitable Irish question is, where are you from? Um, you know, um, and, and, and that's, <laughs> um, is your connection to home and, and, and your interest in home. And it, it, it's a huge part of our culture. 
I'm, I'm not so sure it's, a, it's, it's as much a part of other people, nations' culture, but certainly the, the, the sort of the structure of the GEA and the connection back to the club and back to the team that represents your county is a huge part of Irish culture. Mm, it definitely is, and, and, and it's not getting lost no matter where we go in the world. Come here, just then to remind everybody again, get on to slaunchit2020.org, wonderful organisation helping the, uh, the Irish community in New York tr- during COVID-19. Slaunch to, to, to 2020org and we greatly appreciate all the support that we're getting um, and hopefully continue. Now, having said that, we hope this thing disappears. And I mean that in the best sense of the word, um, because hopefully we, the, the New York City will open up again um, pretty quickly so that we that there won't be a need for slime to slime to, obviously. And we, we hope, obviously, on the greater scale that the, this awful pandemic disappears. But, um, yeah, we, we, we would, we, we, we're very, very grateful for the support we've got. We, we'd love to see some more support so that we continue to give certainty of, of of um, accommodation and certainty of food to, to a number of families who are still impacted by COVID. Larry, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. No problem, Damien. You're more than welcome. Thank you. Brady's Arva Limited, main dealers for Volkswagen cars and commercial vehicles, have been serving the needs of the motoring community in Cavan, Longford, Leitrim, Monaghan, Mead, and the surrounding counties for over 50 years. A family owned and family run business. Brady's are famous for their long association with the GAA. If you're looking for a new or used car or commercial vehicle, check out Brady's Arva Limited. They provide an unrivaled sales and after-sales service and are open six days a week. Brady's Arva Limited. Get on the winning team today. See www.bradysarva.ie for more details. You, you, you can tell... Talking to him there, I, I, I can very easily see how he got elected because after a, you know, a short conversation with him, I'd vote for him. Yeah, well, look, he's got that. He, he definitely has that charisma and he's, he's coming from a place of academia, uh, but he has a common touch. So you know that, that, you know, there's a sense of authority about things that Larry McCarthy says. I was impressed with him uh, when he was running for president and he beat a very good candidate in, in Jarlot Bournes as well. So I, I think, yeah, I think it was, it was, I think it's very good for the GA in New York um, to have a New York-based man like that, even though he's going to be spending a lot of time over here, but to have a New York-based man like that, it can only help the GA in New York. And interestingly, I, I remember what another thing that Aegon Farrell said to me at the time, speaking of GA presidents, <clears throat> we were queuing up to board our flight home back in 2015, and he was saying, those who are involved in clubs out here are generally all doing really well. And that, that's a, an interesting thing. Like, it just goes to show the Irish community, there would still be an Irish community without the GEA, but the GEA is its real strength over there. Uh, and the people who are involved in clubs have the connections and they're, they, you know, they're doing mm-hmm. well. And they're doing well in business, a lot of them. And, and they know that it's just as important in business that you, that you have that, that sort of, uh, that side to you that it's, it's not all out for yourself. You know, the whole GEA approach that, you're, you're, you bring people along with you. Yeah, it's 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 funny, and 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 there's a there's a, a, a an organisation here in Ireland now called BNI, and it's around the world, but it's Business Network Ireland. But basically, it, it's about that. It's networking. And when I heard about this idea of it, and and, and there's loads of them, there's three of them going on in Cavan. All I could think about was that that's what the GEA does in New York. If if an Irish person in New York 
on a Sunday evening is talking about, Jesus, well, I need, I'm going to be doing up my bar. It's, it's somebody in the GA that's going to do up that bar. Or if somebody needs a waitress, it's somebody in the GA community generally who's going to get that job if there is anybody available that needs that job. And that's, you know, it's the best form of networking. And there's also that sense of once the likes of the, 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 the people who came with nothing started at the bottom and got to the top, they're now looking to give that back in another way. Well, I'm going to set the next person up that he can rise up and he can become very successful as well. And, and it's nearly, sometimes in Ireland, we nearly like to knock people off their pedestal. But yet, for some reason over in New York, and, and I got the feeling that they all are trying to help each other up onto that pedestal the whole way through. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Definitely felt that. And, you know, Cavan people have have done so well. Or Irish people in general, obviously, in New York have done so well, but Cavan people seem to have done particularly well. And they're they're willing to give back. Now, one reservation I'd have with, with the GA in New York, I may as well say it, is that the senior championship has become a bit of an arms race. And you know, players players are getting looked after for coming over, which probably wasn't the best use of uh of funds, of funds, like, and you have seen that over the years that 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 has been the case. But again, it's 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 part of this GA thing. Like, you want your team to win. There's a fierce pride in it, and a fierce pride in your club. But the the, the New York County Board have made big strides in that now because they're they're reducing the number of of um. You have to be a home based player. I think all bar two or three. Uh, players at any one time so you know they, they've made huge strides in that it is people who are living working and hopefully maybe second generation Irish that are on the team so um, it seems to be now do you remember years ago it was all New York everybody all the other kind of players were going to New York they're now going to Chicago and Boston and Philadelphia and San Fran they're going to different areas because it's you know that rule isn't isn't in place in New York that you can play as many as you want because we heard stories of lads that were over in New York and maybe made it to a county final um, on their own and then all of a sudden well, we're in the county final now we'll we'll, we'll open the checkbook and bring five all stars out to win it mm. you know and then yeah. they they had to sit on the bench and for me I, I I never really agreed with that but it's it's interesting that Larry was talking about there the first couple of weeks in June. Is what they call it the 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 boards from Tullestrand or something like that is basically like the the, the migration of the J ones all coming over and how it populates Gaelic Park, um, way up in Yonkers there. So it's 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 something that you know New York GA and New York overall in the Irish communities is going to be a very different place this summer than than any other time and and I'd imagine that it's going to lead to less employment. It's going to lead to a long enough summer out of this yet like they're by no means out of the woods yeah especially New York which has been which has been hit so hard um with the, with the COVID pandemic like like I was I was reading recently in Ireland like I, I do feel that in Ireland we're coming out we're coming out of the the worst of it now I think we're, we're well over the worst of it last week in Ireland you had 20,000 tests done and I think there were one percent positives whereas in New York the, the, the figures are, are scary I suppose population density and maybe an aging population possibly in certain communities is a factor in that as well. But it's it's scary. So New York have t- has taken a real batter in there. Um, so yeah, and that's just in terms of of sickness and and deaths. You know, in, in unemployment, you know, I'd say there's tens of thousands uh, 
that are that are uh, suffering and obviously if you're undocumented you probably can't access welfare and things like that i'd imagine or yeah. it's probably more difficult so like this is a real lifeline what what the what the people in new york are doing here um i'd imagine is, is it genuinely is a lifeline to, to people to keep them involved and um to know that there's someone looking after them yeah well it's as i said to larry and, and on monday's podcast we'll speak with terry highland um, about this a little bit as well but as I said to Larry there for, for years and years we've been going over to New York to fundraise for the GA in Ireland and now it's a small opportunity for the people of Ireland to maybe give something back to the diaspora over in New York in their hour of need that if the general public if they can donate 10, 20, 50 100 euro whatever they can give get on to Slauncha 2020.org and please give something towards this this wonderful cause because in our hour of need the diaspora always come to to our support so it's time we reciprocate that uh, by, by supporting this organization so folks that brings us to the end of this podcast um to the McAvoy Super Value GA podcast thanks a million for listening uh, don't forget to tune in on Monday where we'll speak with Terry Highland a little bit about Slauncha 2020 but more so about the return to play and um, as as Leitrim senior football manager how he sees the the um I suppose the the idea that some counties are talking about the clash going on in September and early October so we have a, a good conversation with Terry Highland on Monday thanks Paul for joining me